Some Star Wars fans believe that J.J. Abrams is to Star Wars as Kylo Ren is to Darth Vader's melted helmet. To them, Abrams is a pop culture sponge. He absorbs ideas, but he can't create them, a belief seemingly confirmed by the fact that it was Kathleen Kennedy who suggested casting Adam Driver and spotlighting a female Jedi in The Force Awakens. In The New Yorker, Brian Curtis wrote that if Lucas is the master, Abrams is the apprentice. That's a polite way of saying that Lucas is like Luke Skywalker, a wonderkind who reshapes a galaxy, and Abrams is like Kylo, a fanboy who prays at the altar of a myth on life support. But I don't believe that. I can't, which is not to say that I am unaware of Abrams's failings as the now former auteur of the galaxy far, far away. New characters aside, The Force Awakens is a de facto remake of A New Hope, and The Rise of Skywalker is a de facto remake of Return of the Jedi. Some of Ryan Johnson's inventions may have been wrongheaded, but at least he believed that Star Wars was strong enough to withstand controversy. He's the opposite of Abrams, who saw the aesthetics and ethos of Lucas's creation as something to be carefully preserved, so carefully, at times, he nearly drained it of life. So why do I defend Abrams? Partly because I remain an avowed fan of his first Star Trek film, a transcendent trip that still has the power to make me applaud and weep, and also because I continue to be moved by his passion for Star Wars. To watch The Force Awakens and The Rise of Skywalker is to watch two of the most personal big-budget manifestations of the last decade in cinema. Abrams worships Star Wars so intensely that Force and Skywalker play less like films and more like testaments of faith. If imitation is the highest form of flattery, recreating the Death Star trench run isn't just regurgitation. It is Abrams kneeling before Lucas in tribute, aware of his unworthiness but refusing to let it stop him from professing his love. I'm not making excuses. I'm just trying to explain why I can never fully decry Abrams' work on the sequel trilogy. He laid bare his passion before us, and if he ever combines passion with vision, he may become all but unstoppable. I don't know if he will ever get there, but I do know that I will be watching if he does. Welcome to Bestman Ice Cream Stand. My name is Josh O'Rourke, and with me as always, the dead speak, <laughs> Bennett Campbell Ferguson. You know, I think it's very appropriate that you started that way, because Rise of Skywalker may have its fall, faults, but I do think that it has the best opening crawl of the sequel trilogy. I just, I geek out about the dead speak like nobody's business. Oh, it comes out of nowhere, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Even though it's not technically accurate, because only Palpatine uh, is the he's the only dead person who speaks. So yeah, they're kind of rounding up. You're like, were all those Sith uh, people also dead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was a little disappointed by the lack of zombies, frankly. I know. Yeah, I mean, you you and everyone else who who wanted you know Jedi ghost zombies and Sith ghost zombies and a a decomposed uh, Darth Maul dueling. Kylo went Ren with a triple bladed lightsaber. Maybe next time. Um, I want to know your rating on this. Okay, this is 
tricky because I often say that The Rise of Skywalker is the most flawed movie in the sequel trilogy, but it's also the one that I I, I like the most because I, I kind of have nostalgic feelings toward it because, you know, since it came out right before the pandemic, uh, you know, kind of in the, those early days of, of lockdown, I got the DVD and I actually watched that the movie incessantly because I was just so glad to have a new Star Wars movie. It was just a really, really satisfying escape in spite of uh, all its flaws. So I, I really have a soft spot for the movie. I, I feel kind of kindly toward it because it it really genuinely did help me, you know, through those early months, as, as weird as that may sound to some people. But at the same time, I'm not... I'm not blind to its flaws. I mean, I have to give it two stars because there's just there's just too many things where it's like, oh my gosh, they they didn't they didn't know what the heck they were doing here. And I, and I don't I don't blame J.J. Abrams. He had an impossible task. He had to create a climax to a you know a triple trilogy saga. He had only about two years to do it. That is absolutely bonkers, in my opinion. I think he probably did a good job as as anyone could have done in those circumstances, but it, it is what it is. And it's definitely has some serious issues, particularly, I think with the action and with uh, some of the story choices they made. I gave it a two and a half out of four, and I was almost going to give it a three out of four. Ooh. And, and here's why. Um, it's kind of fun still. It's a fun movie. despite all like the darkness, now, having said that, I think it's a terrible end to the sequel trilogy and to all nine movies, of course. So, um, I think two and a half seems a little more fair. And also, I think it's because I only watched it twice. I watched it in the theater, and then I watched it last night for the second time. Um, and I I think I paid attention more. Something about it um, grabbed me a little bit more. But it's certainly flawed, of course. Um and and I think its biggest problem is it has way too much to tie up in one movie. See, I'm very susceptible to suggestion, you know, where this movie is concerned because now that I know you were even thinking about three stars, I'm tempted to just be like, "Fuck it, I'm giving it," you know, three stars because that scene with Ray burying the lightsabers made me cry. <laughs> you know? Fuck it, four stars. I cried four times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you should stick to your guns. I, I think I'll stick to mine. Because it is a flawed movie, and I, I think it's like a bad relationship. And now that there's some time removed from it, you're thinking, oh, but what about all the good times we had? <laughs> Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, my, my very strange uh, ex-girlfriend with her, you know, Knights of Ren axes, you know, not slicing yeah. people up. <laughs> Your pandemic uh, lady friend. My pandemic, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my question off the bat is: Does Rise of Skywalker succeed as an ending to the sequel trilogy? Um, yes and no. I mean, we could you know talk a lot about you know all the plot points that were left hanging, and I don't have a super strong desire to do that because a lot of that's you know semantics and, and a lot of that i think misses the point of like what it gets right and wrong as a you know piece of art on its own i definitely think 
that you know there are a lot of you know character arcs that we we could have seen you know brought to fruition in more interesting ways. I, I think particularly in the case of a Finn, it's a little disappointing that you know his big conclusion to his arc as a you know stormtrooper who becomes a resistance fighter is is just kind of you know randomly meeting some other ex stormtroopers and they help out in a in a battle that's not even very cool. Well, also, um, they repeat the same beat of Finn kind of wanting to kill himself. Yeah, it's not as emo, but he's like, get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. I'm going to save us by killing myself again. And I, <laughs> I just thought that's that's another, like, he doesn't have that much to do. Don't just make him suicidal. I mean, basically, you know, the the whole thing is so focused on Ray. And Kylo Ren, the, the the weaknesses of the other characters, really really show. Like like Poe is, I don't know. I just find his arc in this movie to be really dumb and pointless. He he learns to become a, a leader, even though he already learned that in the the Last Jedi. And and I think as far as like the character who's kind of the fulcrum of this movie, Ray. Like I actually, even though I I don't like the idea of her being a Palpatine, because I feel like that's that's kind of you know going over overly familiar territory. I sort of like her journey of she feels like, Oh, she's too powerful. She has to take herself out of the equation. And I, I like the idea of her following in her master's footsteps and thinking she's going to die on this Island. And then, you know, getting her confidence back and, you know, getting the courage to, you know, face evil head on. I, I think that's really beautiful. But then at the same time, it's kind of really disappointing that she ends up, really doing the exact same thing as, as Luke, but in a less interesting way. I mean, yet again, you know, like having a Palpatine throne room scene where, you know, the, the young uh, Jedi from a desert planet is, you know, seduced by the Dark Lord of the Sith. No, and... no, you don't understand, though. The throne room was bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah yeah I, I forgot it made all the difference because instead of a throne room it was a cave with people chanting so um does it succeed as an ending to the whole skywalker saga to you no i mean not not even close i mean i, I think it's more effective as an ending to the trilogy than it is an ending to the skywalker saga because just like the the prequels felt like a a tacked on prologue i think the sequel trilogy feels like a tacked on epilogue uh in rise of skywalker perhaps most of all because i i gotta say like by the time they basically do like a repeat of uh, the return of the jedi special edition montage you know of people celebrating all over the galaxy mm -hmm. like by the time i saw that in rise of skywalker i was just rolling my eyes because it's like this is totally meaningless because we saw, you know, this same kind of thing at the end of Return of the Jedi, people celebrating, and then all those celebrations get undone by the rise of the First Order, so it all feels pointless. And then we're supposed to be excited because, oh, the First Order blew up, and, uh, you know, Wicket and his son are happy. You know, it, you know, <laughs> someone will rise up and, you know, destroy the new, new Republic with a new, new Death Star. It, it just becomes tiresome and depressing. I find, and I, I this might be arguing dumb semantics, but also calling it the final order. 
uh, seems very much like we know this is the last movie. There's nothing that can top the name. The Final Order. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. That That's dumb. They should have done something else. And now that means episode 10, it's going to be called The New Empire. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with your points. I don't think it closes off the Skywalker saga at all in the sense that Return of the Jedi was like a great earned ending. Um, and to repeat that just seems um, like the only thing they could have done for the movie, but also I, I didn't really care nearly as much. I think it's interesting because, I mean, I've, I've always been a big fan of Return of the Jedi, but in a weird way, Rise of Skywalker made me uh, an even bigger fan of Return of the Jedi because I, I see Skywalker like doing all the same things as Jedi, but doing them worse like i think that the difference between the throne room scene in skywalk and the throne room scene in jedi is that in jedi we really felt that uh you know uh luke might fall to the dark side because there was a very real sense that he was you know emotionally unbalanced and that that palpatine was kind of uh playing to his uh you know deepest weaknesses and and when you see you know luke lash out at, at vader and you know nearly murder his father in cold blood it's like oh my god you know palpatine was that close to winning and it you know brings a real charge to that whole sequence whereas you know you get to the throne room scene in skywalker and by that point you know ray feels uh you know invincible it feels like there's no way that she could uh possibly be seduced to the dark side and then to make it even less dramatic you know kylo shows up at you know the exact right moment to save her from having to make that that choice so there's no you know real fear for for ray's soul being uh, corrupted and I, and I think that's you know what becomes a problem when when you have a character who is is you know too superhuman and, and doesn't have a lot of uh emotional weaknesses and i, and I think since ray is so uh physically powerful which that's that's part of her character you know she's uh you know the granddaughter of palpatine she's part of this dyad in, in the force it makes sense for her to be like uh, you know possibly the most powerful jedi of all time but if you're gonna you know go down that road and play that sincerely you know her weaknesses have to be like kind of emotional weaknesses and a certain point it felt like those were were gone and then it's like oh if she can just destroy palpatine by deflecting a couple bolts of lightning back at him why do I care at this point, you know? Yeah, no, I, I think it, uh, especially this one makes her just uh, Mary Sue. Uh, it feels like Star Wars fan fiction uh, by a writer that, that doesn't want to give you obstacles that matter. Or doesn't want to give Ray obstacles that matter. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's like uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick talked about uh, when she did the Aquaman comic. Um, how, like, how do you make a superhuman with supernatural strength, relatable, and have an audience care. And like you said, it's the emotional hurdles that they have to um, deal with. Yeah. And they could have done that so much better if they had thought it through from the beginning. I agree, yeah. I mean, I'm not someone who thinks that, uh, you know, every tril trilogy has to be perfectly planned out from the beginning because the, you know, the you know plans for the the Dark Knight trilogy you know changed a lot along the way, and and that worked out really well in my opinion. But I I do have really seen with the sequel trilogy. There's a lot of things where I, I think you could have 
thought like, oh, if you knew Ray was going to end up where she was going to end up, you, you could have done a lot to make that transition more seamless. Or if there was a, you know, kind of a, like more cohesion between Abrams and Johnson, because I think it would have been nice if, you know, J.J. Abrams had said, you know, okay, you know, Ryan said Ray is nobody. That's not what I would have chosen, but I'm going to play the hand I was dealt and I'm going to, you know, develop that further in my own way instead of being like, oh, psych, erase that. She's Palpatine's granddaughter. Seems very revisionist. Uh, I, I don't care for that turn at all. It seems like it had to happen because they wanted to have some grand arc to the whole thing. And that that's the only way you could justify it, I guess. Yeah. yeah I don't know. I, I feel like I think that was along the lines that they were thinking. I think I remember uh, Chris Terrio, who wrote this script with J.J. Abrams, he was talking about the idea that he saw the, the Skywalkers and the, the Palpatines as like two sort of warring noble houses. And, you know, this movie was kind of the climax of that. And, and I think that just speaks to the fact that, you know, I just interpret you know, Star Wars very differently. I, I certainly saw, like, the Skywalkers as, as a kind of, like, noble house, I guess. I But I never saw, like, like Palpatine as a house. I always just saw Palpatine as as Satan, basically. Like, he's a, a lone figure of evil, and I, and I don't think he needs to have, have offspring. I mean, you and I both hate the idea of, you know, Voldemort having a child. I, I think there's a sense that we want these guys to be you know, for for lack of a, a better term, like just like totally untouched by like lusts of the flesh. Yeah, sweet virgin emperor. Dick. Exactly. I get what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, absolutely though. I don't want to think about the emperor smashing. Like he is the personification of evil. I in my mind, Palpatine isn't even like a last name. It's just like. They had to give him a name. He has to have some sort of name, and that's what it is because that was his once human name, but he's fallen from grace or whatever. I, I don't see him as as doing anything that humans do. He should be so far removed in the same way that Voldemort should also be so far removed from humanity. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I think that's very much the the case and i know there's some like talk that oh you know palpatine didn't really have a, a son you know that his you know quote unquote son was actually a younger clone of him but but that uh just like muddies the waters and makes it even weirder so it's like Ray's his granddaughter but not really his granddaughter i just i you know i can't even with with that nonsense <laughs> yeah i'm not into it uh i'm not into it at all um and and then my other problem is then it sets up the ending and in their mind, I think J.J. Abrams and what's-his-name are, like, high-fiving when they broke the ending for this movie. And they're like, yeah, I've got it. She goes back to Luke's house, and someone asks her her last name. I, that still that bugged me the first time, and it bugs me now. Uh, the very last scene of the entire movie. I know I'm jumping ahead, but since it's related. We, yeah, we, we, should, we should talk about that, though, because, like, I'm, I, I'm actually a, a defender of, of that scene or an apologist of, for that scene, like however you want to put it. I mean, like what, like, can you like get into that a bit more? Like what, what, yeah. like, why do you have a problem with like her being a, like a self-proclaimed Skywalker? I guess. I have no problem with that. I love the sentiment to death. Okay. What should have happened was Ray. Um, I don't know. Uh, hopped on to the subway of 
Tatooine. And they say, we need your ID. And she'll be like, I don't have an ID. And be like, well, what's your name? And then she says, Ray. Pauses for one or two seconds. Ray Skywalker. Like, like I hate that she's in the middle of nowhere and someone says, what's your name? She says, Ray. And then they're like, go on. What's your last name? Why? Yeah. No, that's. I mean, that's a totally fair point. I mean, it's it's definitely kind of like a like a hand of God moment where it's like you know, oh yeah, this person is just just like showed up to ask her this question and for no other reason. <laughs> yeah, and also like with the John Williams music and taking like such a long few beats before she answers, they put like way too much stank on it too. Like I was thinking about it like without the music and they're like, "What's your last name?" Skywalker. And it's like, no. <laughs> so for me, no, no. I, I totally I think the sentiment is awesome. I uh I don't like how they revealed it. It's way too flashy. It's way too not real. Yeah, I I, I, I totally see your point there. And I, I think especially with like previous Star Wars endings, I think there's a real grace, especially to the you know, the wordless endings of the film, you know, be it uh, you know, Obi-Wan dropping off Luke at the end of Revenge of the Sith or the, you know, the ceremony with the medals and in A New Hope. There, there's like such like kind of natural grace to those kinds of scenes. And, and you know, Ray talks to like this random old person in the desert is, is a bit like, yeah. a, is a bit much. I mean, I, I, I mean, the, the thing I'll say about it is I, I do like the sentiment. I like the idea. I, like, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of people like talk about the idea that the message of the last Jedi was anyone can be a hero and rise of Skywalker kind of, you know, shits on that. And I don't really agree with that. I feel like her like saying she's a Skywalker is more like you can, you can choose your own own destiny. You are who you make yourself, you know, not who your bloodline dictates you are. And then, and then also like, I really like the, the bit where uh, she like on that piece of metal, like slides down the embankment. And it's just like at the beginning of the Force Awakens, and I, I get yeah. so like emotional when I watch that. It's like, oh my god, this young woman, she's grown up so much, <laughs> you know. It's all full circle, and there are multiple circles, and this is the small one, but this is the big one of the old movie. That's what I said out loud. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I absolutely felt the same way. I think that was like a really cool touch. Like, she's back in the kind of world that she's from, and she's not so different than Luke Skywalker. And I think, you know, even, I, I know some people have a problem with, like, it, it ending, it, you know, the Lars homestead, and she should, you know, kind of forge her own destiny, and, and why would she go back to a planet that, that you know, Luke hated or whatever, but, but I don't think it's really about that. I think it's it's more about the idea that, you know, she, she wants to see where her, you know, her master's you know, journey began, you know, she, she's drawn to kind of go back there to, I, I think, you know, kind of, kind of understand and, you know, because, you know, she's on a similar path in a lot of ways. And I think by understanding what he's been through and where he comes from, she's better understanding her herself. And I think there's something really beautiful about like her kind of looking into the dining room where, where Luke once sat with his aunt and uncle. And there's a, uh, there's a lot of poetry and that, you know, I just, I wish there was it was a better movie <laughs> built up to that moment. Speaking of endings, 
or or since we're on the topic of endings, uh, let's talk yellow lightsaber. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> um, I you know I, I gotta say I I really like the idea of the you know double blade of blue lightsaber, in Colin Trevorrow and and Derek Connolly's script. I think that would have been really cool to say see, but I gotta say I I kind of like the the yellow lightsaber. I I, I kind of dug it. It was it's kind of cool that she's a unique kind of Jedi. She gets her own color in her own like kind of you know wacky uh you know hilt design that looks like her spear lance thingy so i i, I was i was cool with it how about you yeah i was fine with it I, I just remember there was a big uh hubbub about it um when it first happened yeah as as there tends to be anytime anything star warsy happens i guess i think it's just a shame that like we didn't actually get to see her her fight with it i mean imagine if uh, for that duel on the second Death Star, if we'd like, you know, seen like a like a golden lightsaber, you know, shining across, you know, the like dark ruins of the Death Star, like that, I think that would have been epic. I would have liked it if the woman said, "Who are you?" and she says, "A Skywalker," and then she goes, "I am a Sith," and then they fought, <laughs> and they're like, "Ah!" and then it freeze frame. That's the <laughs> ending I wanted to see. Uh, pop quiz: Who's the only other? Uh, oh, this is probably not true. I was, I, I bet you there's like five, but um, what who name one other person with a yellow lightsaber? Oh, god, isn't it like a isn't it some expanded universe character like like Nomi Sunrider or something? Probably, I'm thinking of the prequel or Phantom Menace, I think, and I don't think he ever uses it, but is it Ki Adi or something like that? Wait, I gotta, I gotta look this up real quick. I might be making that name up. Akiadi Mundi is his name. Wait, I thought he had a blue lightsaber. You might be right. Yellow lightsaber. Every yellow lightsaber in Star Wars before Rise of Skywalker. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be uh, interested to know that uh, in Marvel Comics Star Wars number six, Luke uses a yellow bladed weapon before building a new one. Basically, yeah, what you said earlier, it's it's a lot of um, extended universe stuff. Oh, Plo Koon is the one who has the yellow um, lightsaber. Plo Koon? <laughs> Wait, no, I, had a, a I had a friend one in, in grade school, and Plo Koon was, like, his favorite character, which that's uh, that, that's what I, you know, like, always think of when I hear about Plo Koon. It's like, hey, buddy, you know, there was one, you know, person out there who, for some reason, liked you the best on the Jedi Council. <laughs> That's really weird. I feel like that's just like someone trying to uh, be unique. That's like saying like Ben Quadraneros is my favorite character. Yeah. No one gives a shit about Ben Quadraneros. <laughs> it's it's like my friend who came to a birthday party dressed as XR Khan. You know, it's reaching a bit. <laughs> yeah, if someone has to say who are you, then uh, then you're probably doing a good job in the Star Wars community, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Come to think of it, I'm like, at uh, uh, comic conventions, yeah, that would that would kill. Um, I, oh, I have so many notes. I'm not sure what the, what to tackle next. Um, is there something that that you've got to get off your chest? Something that you're really, yeah, yeah, I, you really want to talk about? I mean, I, I could tear apart this movie all day because there's there's so many things that are fun to tear apart. But I I want to talk about something I love. I love the duel between. Ray and Kylo Ren, like for me, that isn't a yes. kind of all timer in terms of of Star Wars fights. Like it's just 
so beautifully shot. Like I loved how J.J. Uh, uh, Abrams and the cinematographer Dan Mendel, they used a lot of wide shots so you could really follow the action and just like enjoy the choreography. It's not. God, it's so rare nowadays to see that too. It's so rare. I think that's yeah. exactly why why it connected with me is you got a really good sense of place uh, in the action, and normally you don't get that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's just something about the the image of this hulking ruin, you know, floating in the sea and them kind of like uh, leaping, you know, all over this, you know, dangerous surface. And it's very like a, like tactile. Like one of my favorite moments is when uh, Ray is, is trying to keep Finn out of the fight and she uses the force to push him away and he falls over and you could kind of like hear him sort of like sliding over this, you know, wet, slick surface. And it's just so tactile and you like feel like you're in the rain with these characters like in in the midst of this whole treacherous tete-a-tete and it's it's so cool and I, I even love the uh just the kind of like the story and the emotion behind the battle like i i love how like ray is kind of you know totally thrown off her game like this is like a rare instance where like she's very emotional and kylo is completely un in control so he has the upper hand and then the you know the un unthinkable happens you know leia's death like kind of uh, shatters like kylo's sense of sense of power and, and kind of you know cuts him down to size in a, a really really uh really poignant way and then I, I, something i find you know really you know moving about when ray says to him you know i, I did want to take your hand ben's hand and just that that's such a like like vulnerable thing to admit that she was tempted by this this guy and it's almost like something i think she's probably a little bit ashamed to admit so there's there's something kind of a you know kind of powerful like a getting you know like an, an insight into her psyche there and it, i think it's much more interesting than if she were like no i was never tempted kylo fuck off and i never <laughs> will be just like Luke Skywalker. Remember that scene a couple movies ago? <laughs> yeah. He wasn't tempted. And I'm not either. <laughs> I really like that um, That she sort of wins the battle in the end. Yes. Though. That's kind of a nice surprise. We're like, oh, he just got stabbed in the tummy. Yeah, yeah. The force tummy? I, I don't know. <laughs> See, like, here's the thing about me. You know, even though I, I certainly am, am very like aware of like when things are formulaic, in the moment when I'm watching a film, I, I'm I I really get wrapped up in it, even if it's a bad movie, and I, and I don't like think in my head, oh, this is going to happen next. So when she stabbed Kylo, I was like, like the first time I saw that, I was like, holy fuck, Kylo gets killed halfway <laughs> through the movie. Yeah. I I think that's one of my big problems with the movie. Um. It's, you know, I'm going to put on my miser hat right now. But um, I think the movie too often does the thing where it has its cake. No, it, it bakes its cake. What's the phrase? Oh, my God. <laughs> it. Is there a better phrase? It has its that? cake and eats it, too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the movie has its cake and eats it, too, in the sense that. They at least two times, maybe more, you know, Kylo Ren dies and then doesn't and then does just so that they can have a moment so that they can have the final kiss yeah. so that Ray can forgive Kylo and he can come back. 
and prove that she has force powers. It feels very um, unfair to the audience. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of fake deaths. You get uh, Ray and and Kylo both have their own fake deaths, and and, and so does Chewbacca. Chewie, and so does uh, Zori Bliss. And I I feel like you know by the end battle, like it doesn't feel like much is at stake. And I I think it would have meant a lot more if, for instance, they were like, oh yeah, when Kajimi got blown up, you know, Zori Bliss got fucking killed. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it was really sad. And by the way, that cute Babu Frick. He's dead too. There's nothing left of Babu. Super dead. Here's his arm. That's all that's left. (laughs) We talked about this a few weeks ago during our new segment, but uh, Chewbacca weeping when Leia dies is the saddest shit in the entire trilogy. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and poor Chewbacca, like nothing good happens to him ever. Yeah. He just has to keep fighting. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's that moment at the end where uh, um, Dominic Monaghan was like, come on, buddy, we need you. And if I were Chewie at that point, I'd be like, my best friend is dead. You know, my you know, my other two best friends are also dead. You know, I give up. I'm tired of J.J. Uh, Abrams and Brian Johnson ruining my life. You know, they're the Sith, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Very meta. I, I could see that working. Um, do you think Finn is force attuned? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this is a problem with the movie that it's, it's very unclear about its intentions on a lot of story points. And uh, I did hear a lot of people saying that Finn had the, the force, but, but when he and uh, and, and Janna were, were talking about, like, the, the force, you know, kind of liberating them from, like, like stormtrooper uh, uh, training, I always, I always thought the idea was like that it was kind of an act of God, almost like the the force is, is almost sentient and like kind of reaches out to uh, free their minds. And that doesn't necessarily mean they can use the force. I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe it would have made more sense if Finn was force sensitive, but if he, if he was like, like why wouldn't, you know, we have seen some ability way back then because it's, it's, but then it's like, it's confusing because, I feel like if he didn't have the Force, then how could he hold him hold his own against Kylo Ren as long as he did in Force Awakens in that snow duel? Yeah, and also, uh, you know, in this one, they um, he has a couple of moments where he like senses Ray, um, which seems very like Force sensitive uh, for him to to. There, there's like a scene towards the end of the movie where he says, "I forget what what happens." I think he's. Is it when Ray almost dies? Maybe there, there's a scene, and he's like, "No, Ray!" Yeah, yeah. Well, the, it seems like because Ray seems like she's actually dead, and then Kylo revives her, and, and when she's you know quote unquote dead, you know you hear Finn being like Ray, and it's almost like he, uh, you know, like senses her death through the Force or something, and she's dead, so she's not reaching out to him. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, I I think they yeah they should have explored that a little more. Even just like a better hint to to say like maybe he can use the force, and we're gonna do a spinoff. I think you know this again is like you know kind of some of the problems you have when you don't do long term planning because in a way, Finn's character arc actually got wrapped up pretty neatly in the Last Jedi. 
so even though I think Abram should have done more with him, I, I sort of get it. Like, like after Finn has fully committed to the resistance, it's sort of like, well, what do you do with him at this point? How does he fit in? Like, although again, and I, I don't want to overly play praise Colin Trevorrow because I, I think there are a lot of serious problems with his script, but, but I, mm-hmm. I kind of liked his idea about Finn leading a stormtrooper revolution on, on Coruscant. That would have been cool to see, but you know, yeah, but it also just seems like not really related to the main story. Yeah, that's true. I, I, no, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I They definitely misused him. I don't want to say the most because I think they misused a lot of characters, but him and Poe especially. I thought Rose had, what, three lines in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> she was basically like, things are going great, babe. And that, that was pretty much her entire character. I, I feel like, you know, like Rose gets a... A lot of a lot of hate, and, and I really, you know, for for me, I try to s- separate like you know the the character and the performance from like what the you know the writer and the director does with the character because I, I think Kelly Marie Tran is is very talented and I think you know Rose as a character always had a lot of potential. It, it's just you know the problems came up when, when Ryan Johnson you know basically you know force her to be like like kind of like a mouthpiece that could you know lecture finn and, and say these god-awful lines like i wish i could punch my fist through this whole lousy beautiful town and just just absolutely eye-roll worthy stuff like that but the the thing is like there there was an opportunity with the rise of skywalker to you know say like okay you know you know ryan johnson used rose really badly but look, we have a talented actress. We have an interesting character here. We can actually do something cool with her now. And, and they, they didn't do that at all. They did basically nothing with her. And I have to say, the, the moment that like, kind of hurts me in the, the film, in The Rise of Skywalker, is when Finn invites you know, Rose to come uh, on, on, you know, with them on the mission at the beginning. And she says she can't. And it's just it's it's kind of like heartbreaking to see her just sort of like shoved to the side like that. It it hurts to be honest. Yeah, that's her entire character. Oh, sorry, I have other things. Yeah, I mean just that that moment of like the general asked me to, you know, study all specs of the destroyer so we can stop the fleet if we find it. It's like <laughs> it's like but it, it turned out to be not that simple because apparently you just uh you just shoot the cannons of these things when they blow up, which is also stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not get into that. That's that's uh, too too easy. Yes, <laughs> it's low yeah. hanging fruit. Low hanging cannon fruit. Yeah. Rose was a missed opportunity. Um, I think plot was so important that it being plausible didn't matter. Yeah. And so that's why just shoot the cannons uh, was the strategy. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I I didn't mind when all the random ships show up. I just wish they would have set that up better because it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, okay. This is this whole thing is kind of an obsession of mine because I, I'm, I, you know, I, I mean, you know, I'm a really big uh, you know Christopher Nolan fan, and and one of the films Huge. of his I love the most is is Dunkirk. And I, I feel like that the ship showing up at the end of Rise of Skywalker is kind of like the Star Wars 
Dunkirk moment, except the reason why it doesn't play as strongly is in Dunkirk, we had, uh, you know, these, these scenes on one of the little ships uh, uh, coming to rescue the soldiers with uh, uh, um, Mark Rylance and his, his son. So we have like kind of a face for this movement of, you know, ordinary people who are coming to the rescue, whereas in Rise of Skywalker, we didn't really have that. It's just a, a fleet of ships. I think we needed to like see like kind of an ordinary character who decides to, you know, risk yeah. everything and help, you know, yeah, all we needed, all we needed was some mechanic. That's like, I'm never helping the rebellion. They made me who I am today. And then, you know, show him later on being like, actually, I love you rebellion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That wasn't a very thought out character, but no, absolutely. You needed one character that was, grounded that was on a planet that was in danger and you needed to see him or her or whoever be against helping and then helping and you realize if he can do it well of course everyone wants to help yes but instead it was like lando was like hey brought some friends (laughs) that was it (laughs) yeah and it's just it's like well we knew lando was going to come back at the end so like seeing him and wedge is is kind of like oh you know whatever uh, even though it was great to see Dennis Lawson back, don't get me wrong. Oh man, I was so excited to see him, and it was like a three-second scene. They cut away so quickly. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand like why you couldn't like have Wedge be more a part of it. Like, I couldn't Wedge have been uh, a, a general in the Resistance or something. At Maybe least? he's just like a really bad actor now. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> like, oh great. Yeah, maybe that was like the Stan Lee cameo in Spider-Man 2. They were just like, oh. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah, the the, the, the the Spider-Man stole that kid's pizza moment. Spider-Man stole that kid's pizza! <laughs> Wedge Antilli stole my space pizza. Yeah, exactly. Space pizza! <laughs> I, I um, As much as it bugged me, though, I, I got caught up in the scene where all the ships show up. And was a little emotional, like, oh, the galaxy can come together. I just, I, I don't think, it, like I said earlier, I don't think the scene was earned. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, too. Like, I I think, too, the, the problem is that the, the action's not especially coherent. Like, I think the thing that really makes the Battle of Endor and Return of the Jedi is uh, the whole bit with Lando and Wedge, uh, you know, flying through to the, to the Death Star reactor and just like kind of like seeing this this sort of like epic yet also claustrophobic moment and then in like Rise of Skywalker like ships are flying around every which way you can't tell which way's up which way's down it's a, it's a little bit you know I don't know like it could have been it could have been tightened up yeah it's a mess it, it's a mess uh, you don't get an idea of the action um, at all yeah um oh man I just had a point I was gonna make give me one second I'm gonna bring it back. Um, oh yeah, and and then there's like the cloying scene where like Poe doesn't know what to do, and they're like, "Commander, what do we do? Poe, what's happening? Give us something to do." <laughs> I I thought that was a little heavy-handed. Yeah, I I just yeah, I feel like I don't know. You you can feel them sort of like setting the stage for the you know the big moment at the end. You can you can feel. Uh, I don't know. It, it's a moment that like I think kind of keeps you from from getting lost in the in the whole thing really I, I guess i would have liked to have seen a real moment of failure where like somebody important dies or or maybe poe um 
says, you know, prepare to retreat, and you, you know, you see him as a coward for a moment. Sure, yeah. Like, obviously, like, nobody can have any faults, any real faults in the sequel trilogy, but uh, I would have liked to have seen something else from that scene. Are you saying that you would have liked to see someone more important than Snap Wexley die? <laughs> I, I am like, who's Snap Wexley? I have to Google that, because I don't care. <laughs> Greg Grunberg. <laughs> Oh yeah, I love I, I, my response in my mind when he died was Greg Grunberg died, and I didn't know he had a character name. <laughs> and still, I was like, "No, Greg." Hot take: the best Greg Grunberg cameo in a J.J. Abrams movie is his uh, his voice on the phone in uh, Young Kirk's uh, car oh, in Star Trek. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I accept that. I can't argue with you there. In in that like you know like that minute of voice only, there was like more life and character than Snap Wexley had in two films. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the poll quote for this episode. <laughs> Although by by the way, uh, like one thing I will say that I do like about Snap Wexley is in the Force Awakens uh, when when they're attacking Starkiller Base and he says, "Watch out for ground fire." It just sounded like something that like they'd say in a Star Wars arcade game. Like every time I hear that, I'm like, "Oh, watch out for ground fire!" Yeah, so yeah, awesome. or like one of those really hard levels where you keep replaying it, and you're like, "God, he only says one thing." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> can Can we talk about the uh, Han Solo Kylo Ren? Scene? Yes, yes, a hundred percent. I'm gonna just say right now, I have a problem with Han saying, "I know." <laughs> I do too. I I like the scene, but I I feel like that would I I feel like you didn't want to like stick an in joke on the end of like, yeah. This really I I, I definitely scene, wept know? a little bit, and then uh, when uh, Han says I know, I was like, come on, it's like an inside joke that your son probably doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a little weird that like like Han says that to his lover and his son. Yeah, he's like, I only have one <laughs> like, type it's... of love, and that's Han love. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Bring the Han love. <laughs> uh, aside aside from that, I I do think it's a really good uh, scene. Uh, I I love uh, I I love how uh, Abrams uses these these really you know kind of epic wide shots. Like like first of Kylo like standing alone, you know, looking down at the sea, and then after that, um, that 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 kind of wide shot of like like Han and Kylo looking at each other, like these little specks of like you know, kind of like like black clothing amid like, you know, all this, you know, gray and cloudiness. It, it's a really beautiful scene. And I, I don't, I, I honestly, like, I don't think Harrison Ford, uh, you know, phoned it in either. Like, I think it's really poignant when he says, you know, your mother's gone, but what she stood for, what she fought for, you know, that's not gone. Like, there's, there's real heft to it. I, I think the thing, the main issue I have with the scene is that it, I don't think it's built up too well. Like, I feel like the Kylo we've seen in the scenes previously would end this moment by being like, fuck off, Ghost Han, I want to be Emperor. But at the same time, like, yeah. like as a, as a, like, almost like, I mean, this is going to sound like a really kind of lame way of justifying it, but if you look at it as, like, a really, you know, good short film, you know, separate from everything else, it's like a really beautifully played scene. That's terrible. I know, I know. I, I, I think the the fans of this movie would argue that by Kylo almost dying and and Ray saving him, it made him realize, you know, 
He's got to go back to who he was. But I agree completely. That doesn't seem like he would do a 180 like that so quickly. I think they should have built that up more throughout the whole trilogy or at least throughout this movie uh, with the other indicating scenes. Completely agree. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, it's very hard because you, you had, you know, Kylo come like fully into his evil powers at the end of The Last Jedi and uh, Rise of Skywalker has to be the kind of movie that backtracks from that and and as a result you know feels it feels kind of abrupt and it's uh it's hard to take it seriously at a certain point it just kind of feels like is jj just doing this because he wants to have his version of vader's redemption because that's basically what it feels like yeah i i wish they would have made him the bad guy i i didn't think that it needed to be a a Raylo, as they say uh relationship and I don't think he needed redemption. I think if he would have died evil, that would have been so great to break from the mold of Star Wars stuff. I felt that, like, you know, Rey's journey in The Last Jedi was was kind of learning the opposite of Luke. Where I mean, Luke saw the world in very black and white terms, and he had to learn that, you know, it's it's not just, you know, good and evil. There, you know, there are nuances, and there are, you know, bad people capable of redemption, and it felt like Ray kind of had to learn the opposite lesson of, you know, it's not all shades of gray. Some people are beyond hope. And I, I think it would have been really interesting if Kylo was uh, was totally beyond hope. And the, at the end, she was like, I have I don't want to, you know, take a life. I'm a Jedi, but I have to kill you for the good of the galaxy. And I mean, I think that would have been like kind of like a, like a painful, but certainly impactful ending for both characters. Yeah, and then you could have skipped all the Emperor stuff. Because let's be honest, like, the Sith is really cool, and I think exploring that is really neat. But it's too late for that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, think, I think if they had no Emperor, it would have been less uh, of a McClunky movie. I think so, a <laughs> McClunky movie. I apologize for saying <laughs> Nicely that. Nicely <laughs> done. Well, okay, so this, I, I, got a, I got a hot take here for you, and uh, you're... I, lay that lay, lay that slab of hotness. Well, I, I certainly will, us. and uh, I look forward to you either telling me I'm a genius or telling me to you know lay off the death sticks. But <laughs> <laughs> so my my feeling is that uh, you know for all the faults of the prequels, you know there's there's a certain poetry that the prequel trilogy has a tragic ending, and then the you know the original trilogy has a happy ending. So you you kind of you start out with peace in the galaxy. Then you see that broken down by the end of one trilogy. And the next trilogy is about building that up. And I think the hard thing about the sequel trilogy, it has, it's sort of had to do both things at once where you have to see evil rise again, but then you have to see, uh, you know, you know, good defeat evil. So you're basically trying to do like the amount of, of two trilogies within one trilogy. So like my, feeling is like why did uh, episode nine have to have this really you know definitive ending like like couldn't it have been at the end of the trilogy but like the first order still reigns or something and you know the fight will continue in you know 30 years in episode 10 or something like i feel like that would have been less formulaic if nothing else no absolutely I, i i mean the answer is audiences need closure and if there's a movie made by committee like a star wars movie uh, there is no way they're not going to have a happy ending that brings as much closure as possible. Yeah. But yeah, I would have loved that. How cool would that have been if 
Kylo Ren was the bad guy and maybe he gets away or or he dies but then a Jedi is like you know Kylo Ren is dead but the balance of the force has not been restored and you're like wait what do they mean yes you know like it would have been really cool to have a little cliffhanger action yeah I completely agree yeah I think I think it could have been a a lot of fun and and I don't know like I I feel like there we I mean, for me, the whole, the very idea of, like, a nine-part Skywalker saga is just so artificial because, I mean, to me, it felt like, you know, Return of the Jedi was, like, in a sense, the end of the Skywalker saga because, you know, Anakin, the Chosen One, you know, kind of, you know, completes his arc of, like, you know, rise, fall, redemption, and that felt very clean. But if you, you have, if you have a sequel trilogy that, you know, doesn't have to tie everything up in a bow, like, then you get away from the idea of like, oh, it's it's nine films all has to lock in and it can be like, well, you know, we we do a new trilogy whenever it's the whenever it's the right time, you know, whenever like the world feels like it it needs it. And there's, there's it's been long enough that there's like pent up demand or or that the world has changed enough so that there's like some like I guess like kind of like new issue or development or challenge facing humanity that uh you know, Star Wars can comment on, like just in the way that the original trilogy commented on the the Vietnam War or the the prequel trilogy, you know, ultimately developed into kind of a post nine eleven statement. Interesting. I want to delve more into that uh, at a later date. I feel like we both have more to say about that. Yeah, <laughs> the big big can of uh, space worms to open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, let's lightning round this thing. Give me a couple things that you really liked about it. Um, I, I like a lot of the performances. I think, uh, that Daisy Ridley in particular is at the top of, uh, you know, her game in this movie and, and yes. Adam driver is, uh, really great. I, I like that this movie like kind of ties up some loose threads that, that bothered me because I, I was always of the school of thought that like, I don't like the idea that, that Snoke just comes out of nowhere. I always felt like, you know, like, oh, there should be, you know, some kind of explanation for how, you know, after the Emperor is destroyed, like how this Snoke person, you know, learns the dark side or whatever, because who who would teach him? And so I, I like the idea that, you know, okay, you know, Snoke was some kind of like mad science experiment created by Palpatine. Like, okay, that justifies that. And then also, I really, really liked uh, that Leia finally became a Jedi, because it just like yeah. pissed me off in the Force Awakens, where it was like, okay, <laughs> you know, like the whole point of you know Leia being you know Luke's sister and having the Force is that you know she's gonna you know also become a Jedi and be there be either as powerful as he is, or potentially even more powerful. And, and the Force Awakens ig- ignored that, and the Last Jedi made it look like you know. Oh, the force is just like something Leia randomly uses when uses when she gets shot out into space, and like finally, <laughs> like we get like to see Leia as an actual Jedi Master, and I just love the moment when Rey says to her, "Yes, Master." Like it's like, oh my god, like this is what I've been waiting decades to see. Like like Leia as a Jedi Master with an apprentice. I, you know, I think obviously everything they did with Leia was challenging because they had to work off this Force Awakens footage and, you know, in some scenes that was more seamless than in others. But I think, you know, considering, you know, the challenges before them, I think they did a really beautiful 
job, and I, I loved uh, getting to see Leia in that role, and then, then getting to see her as like a, a ghost at the end. So those, I mean, those are uh, yeah. uh, some real high points for me. Oh, and then also, I uh, I, I really love uh, a lot of the the visuals. I mean, I, I think uh, you know J.J. Abrams is you know really you know a, a really kind of wonderful visual storyteller. Like that moment when Ray is uh, is you know looking up and like seeing the you know when the bolts of Palpatine's lightning kind of like course off into space. It's just this beautiful serene moment, and it almost like like the lightning looks like the roots of some like weird like cosmic tree, and then the the camera just you know, uh, you know, goes out into the stars, and you you just hear like Obi Wan's voice echoing, "Ray, these are your final steps. Rise and take them." It's just like moments like that. It's like okay, you know, I, I can't entirely hate this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I I loved that bit. I loved hearing Qui Gon Jinn. Like like I I of course I don't love the sequel or the prequel trilogy, but if you're gonna look at this as a nine part saga, I think it was really cool to tie that back in. And you can yes. tell they used the Ray, uh, the Alec Guinness Ray bit from Force Awakens, where they took the end of a word he said because it was yes. the exact same Ray. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love that. Um, oh, what else? Uh, the scene where, well, just everything that Mark Hamill is in in this movie is the shit. But I really love when he lifts the X-Wing out of the water. That scene gets me every time. Oh, that's a beautiful scene. Yeah. So good. And such a cool callback to not only uh, Empire Strikes Back. Wait. Yeah. Not only Empire Strikes Back, but also um, when Rey is trying to control the vehicle uh, or the transport that Chewbacca is on. And you're like, yes. I don't think Jedi do that. And then when you see that, you're like, oh, that's right. I guess they kind of do. Yes. <laughs> uh, I loved seeing yeah Leia kicking ass with the Force. Uh, I like that we saw her lightsaber, and of course it's blue. Yes, as it had to be. Um, what else? Oh, uh, this is a dumb, stupid moment, but I love when C-3PO is speaking Sith or translating Sith, and his eyes are red. Yeah. I, I don't know that the justification, awesome. but I like the idea that if you speak evil, then you're an evil droid and you look like it. <laughs> um, Lando was all right. I loved seeing him, but I, I wasn't like, yeah, but it, it was cool to see him, I guess. Uh, also, uh, the Emperor looked really freaking cool. I think yeah. giving him no pupils was like a really nice move. He definitely was one of the more creepy things in the entire saga. God, there's so much in there that I want. I want to respond to. I <laughs> at the uh, Lando. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you my least favorite thing about Lando in this movie, and my favorite thing. My, my least favorite thing is that he was wearing the same outfit he wore in in Solo, because I kind of hated the idea that Lando's like, well, you know, I I didn't wear that outfit in the original trilogy, but what the heck, I'll you know wear the outfit from when I was a you know young man. Yeah, it's like ago. an old band T-shirt. <laughs> Yeah, it's ridiculous. But I love that scene between uh, Lando and Poe. And I, I love it when Lando says, you know, we had each other. You know, that's how we won. Oh, yeah. and, and that moment for me is like, like, wow, for all his mistakes, like in a lot of ways, you know, J.J. really gets Star Wars and the heart of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. But also, yeah, I feel like they're like making, they're giving Lando like a more important role in some ways. Not that he didn't have an important role, but I, I just, I, I, I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah, it worked. I, I can't be a curmudgeon about that. <laughs> that was that was great. Don't worry, there's plenty of things to be curmudgeon about. Plenty of things. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm in that circle to circle back to what I said earlier. Um, I really liked Mark Hamill in this. I thought yes. that he seemed more Luke-like in it. Um, like there was some kindness, and and that was what was missing from Last Jedi. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I'm really glad you brought up that scene because I. I just kind of love everything about that scene. Like, I even love the fact that it's uh, the only time we see, like, Ray wearing a, a hood. And there's just something cool about, like, oh, she's going into exile. She's putting on her hood to show how exiled <laughs> she is. And and then just, I just love, you know, what, uh, you know, uh, Luke says to her. Like, just, like, some of these moments, like, when he's, like, some things are stronger than blood. You know, you have everything you need and he he's just you know like so uh so so warm and and thoughtful and the way he says you know it, i was wrong it was fear that kept me on this island what are you most afraid of and just the fact that like he can advise ray because he's been through so many of the same things and you know i, I don't like the idea of ray being a palpatine but i i like the idea that you know luke has has been through something very similar so he can uh you know, kind of, you know, console her and say like, hey, you don't have to be afraid of yourself. And the subtext is, I know because I was afraid of myself and I was able to, you know, choose the right path. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a little bit of redemption for him. Also, when him and Leia show up in Tatooine at the end, my in my cheesy brain was sort of thinking, wouldn't that have been cool if all of the fucking Jedi just appear? They say, yeah. yes, you are a Skywalker. Now go with God. Well, you know, I have to say, uh, I, I admit I'm one of those nerds that thinks it would have been cool to see Jedi ghosts at the final battle between Rey and uh, Palpatine. I, I mean, I think it would have really juiced it up. And imagine if we like got to see Liam Neeson in person saying, we stand behind you, Rey. Like, that would have just been epic, I think. That would have been kind of cool. I think that the sequel trilogy sort of broke the force like force rules for me. Yeah. Like the idea that you can pass a lightsaber or items through the force. Yeah. I, that that was super cool, don't get me wrong, but I, I, I don't know. It just it was very convenient for the story. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And it, you know it's funny, like like people people like to blame JJ Abrams for that. But I always like to uh, remind folks that that was actually a Ryan Johnson thing because of the, yeah. the droplet of water on Kylo Ren's hand in The Last Jedi that actually you know came from the, the rainstorm that Rey was in. But how cool would it have been if, if it hints at it and it doesn't overuse it? That would have been way better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because, you know, that, that drop of water was, you know, a thousand times cooler then you know like oh you know you can just like boom like send this lightsaber through like a hole in space time or something <laughs> yeah 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 no the power creep was a bit much going from you know the original trilogy to now but yeah uh, maybe that's nitpicking and i won't get into that anymore by the way like while we're on the the subject i really like that final fight between kylo and the knights of ren and i just wish that had gone on a lot longer because it's it's so cool, but it's it's way too brief. 
It's way too. You know what? It, it worked for me in in that sense because it's like it's not the priority, and he's at his all time highest power. He has a great lightsaber. He's using the force. He's kicking ass. I I, I agree. It would have been cool to see it go a little longer, but I kind of like that it was just him kicking ass. Well, I, I guess like I guess the reason I bring it up is because I I, I feel like it's kind of climactic to just sort of have you know D- Daisy Ridley and Ian McDermott talking in a cave and shooting some lightning, and that's our climax. And I I wish they they could have found a way to like bring more of a duel element in there if yeah, like if you I had like ray and kylo fighting the the knights of ren together like kind of like they fought the praetorian guards and the last jedi or yeah I, I kind of was surprised they didn't do that actually it seemed like it seemed like um ray would have been like excuse me a moment and then they would have you know fought the knights of ren or or kylo had a moment where he gets cut and is about to die and then she saves the day or imagine if they had found a way to make that duel on the second death star the climax of the whole movie because if that was at the end i feel like that could have been like such a you know cool thing that like the whole you know trilogy has been been building toward yeah 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 and i even think i would have liked the the symmetry of you know if the resistance and the first order were like having their final battle at the same place that uh the rebellion and the empire did i mean i know i complain about you know too many retreads but that would have been like almost like less of a literal retread and more of like a like a a spiritual retread of like the the new good and the new evil like you know converge like you know on on the ruins of the past or something like that yeah no i get it it would be a little less like sentimental and cloying uh as you know a throne room yeah yeah exactly yeah well what else do you want to talk about yeah i can think of a lot of you know negative things i'm trying to think if there are any more positive things i'm trying to keep it positive because because i i do think that a lot of people really do enjoy both the sequel trilogy and this movie in particular yeah one thing we haven't really talked about but but one thing i really like that the sequel trilogy did uh is make ray the protagonist and and have some some representation uh of people of color and uh, and also women they, you, you can always do more, of course, but I, I think for something like Star Wars, uh, it was pretty progressive compared to, say, like the comic book industry, where only now is it like amazing that a woman wrote a comic or something like that. I know I'm exaggerating, but I, I mean to say um, that a lot of nerdy stuff is sort of mired in the past, and it's really cool to see some progress being made. And certainly we can make lots more. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And, and even uh, one of the things I really appreciate is that the one time in the trilogy that, that Rey gets captured, or I guess in The Last Jedi she gets captured, but sort of voluntarily. But but in Force Awakens, the only like real time that she's a you know actual hostage, she actually ends up turning the whole thing to her advantage and you know, sca- escapes without any help from Finn or, or Han. Like I... I love that moment of like Han, like kind of like nodding, and you know, it's like, see, you know, she's fine, <laughs> you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great moment for sure. Yeah, I can't believe we watched and talked about all nine movies now. I know, uh, I'm astounded. I remember when we were talking about this as a theoretical thing that we actually made it to this movie. You know, it's exciting. I mean, 
it's like I, I know obviously you know we can find all kinds of things and nitpick but like there's there's something thrilling about like man like we have a you know we have nine star wars films we have you know three trilogies we have the you know complete thing that we probably like wanted but like thought we were never going to get as as kids and you know it, like on the one hand like yes of course there are a lot of mistakes in the prequels or sequels we wish hadn't been made but there's so many good things that wouldn't have existed without the the sequel trilogy I and mean, my god we have that you know duel in the second death star we have that you know scene of luke lifting the x-wing out of the out of the ocean i mean we have like all these like these gems to come back to now and it's it, it's exciting i mean like we're still talking about the prequels you know so many decades later you know i think we're gonna get plenty of mileage after the original uh, the uh, the sequel trilogy down the road too and, and yeah the, the sentiment i'm getting as a lot of people think in like five to ten years that the sequels will be held in higher esteem the way the prequels sort of are now um and i think that's true but i do think it's important to talk about uh the good and the bad of them now and um and not look at it through rose-colored glasses i mean i think too that especially in the like kind of the the, the nerd world that which which i consider myself very much a part of i think there is a tendency you know i i think we've all been through this like kind of moments when we sort of watch a movie so many times we kind of talk ourselves in into into liking it you know like we we think of like really like complex arguments to uh, justify certain things like you know, I'm, I'm a huge huge fan of uh the first star trek movie that jj abrams did and I, I think like i kind of watched star trek into darkness through like very rose colored glasses where I, w I was kind of bending over backwards to be like it's not stupid that they basically remade the wrath of khan it's an important fixture of kirk's journey and kind of with the benefit of hindsight it's like nah they really should have you know done a completely new story and i i feel like you know like i would encourage people with the sequel trilogy to hey you know celebrate the things that those films did really well but uh you know don't don't do what i i did which is when like after rise of skywalker came out like i wanted to like it so much that like for a time i was even trying to talk myself into thinking that uh that scene between lando and janna was not stupid <laughs> and thankfully i've seen the light now and realized that it's like the worst <laughs> but <laughs> i mean you're entitled to your opinions for sure and i mean we're just two you know film critic slash nerd slash you know uh wannabe star wars critics what am i trying to say uh, we're, we're no more qualified than, than anyone else to, to say a movie is good or bad, you know, feel what you want. But, um, I, I think doing this podcast has made me realize, and we've talked about it before, how much I hate and love, uh, Star Wars and how conflicted <laughs> I am, uh, about those two dichotomies. And I think a lot of people are the same way, but they lean into, they lean into it more one way or the other. Well, the dark side is quicker, easier, more seductive. So, <laughs> no, but I, I, to give you the answer that more seriously, I mean the the thing is that I think the original trilogy is you know so important for you, me, 
and uh, a lot of people. And I think part of the reason we, we get so intensely frustrated, you know, when we see problems in the prequels or the sequels is that, you know, we, we feel that like kind of these standards that, you know, were so important to us are, are not, you know, being upheld creatively. And, and maybe like, in a in a way we feel like, you know, Phantom Menace is not just a bad movie. Last Jedi is not just a bad movie. They're, you know, dishonoring this thing that is, is, you know, like precious to us. And, and I feel like it's very much legitimate to say like, hey, you know, there were these things the original trilogy did well that like the, sub, the, the subsequent films did not. But then at the same time, like sometimes it has to be like, okay, take a breath. You know, these other trilogies existing does not like diminish the original trilogy. You can still look at the originals as like their own separate, you know, thing. And it doesn't have to be the apocalypse because there are, you know, midichlorians and uh, Canto Bite and whatnot. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, I think the criticism comes from uh, a love of it, a genuine love. And Star Wars is such a part, for me, of my childhood and nostalgia. And it reminds me of my friends and traveling places and, and the music and the actors and, and collecting toys and all of it is is so ingrained in who I was that that it will always be important, but I I think the reason I'm so sad about it sometimes is because uh, of the potential. Because in my mind, the sequels and the prequels would be so much better, and they could never live up to that standard. Of course not. Yeah, I you're right. I mean, I think there is a there is a lot of you know wasted potential and I, and I think you know in particular like in in the past we've seen some late sequels that you know show how this this kind of thing can be done really well and how you can bring a lot of you know you know new bold you know meaningful ideas and characters to kind of an old myth i mean we saw that uh in you know certainly in mad max fury road and i'm also a big fan of blade runner 2049 and, and those were the movies that like kind of uh Kind of up the ante, and I, I think you know really, really challenged you know audiences to think about those, you know old stories in in new ways. While at the same time, I think like being true to the essential spirit of, of you know what had come before and respecting what had come before, and you know there is a certain point at like like why is it you know so hard you know to to get Star Wars you know right? Is it is it so hard because you know, the emotional relationship that so many of us have with it is, is so intense and that we get too, uh, too precious with it. I mean, you know, who's, I mean, you kind of like, you kind of get the sense, I think, you know, when you listen to JJ Abrams and Ryan Johnson talk of, of them, like really kind of like straining to like, you know, like live up to this kind of like godly artifact, <laughs> you know, and that the, that they feel the, the pressure and, and the pressure kind of like trips them up in all these different ways. And I suspect like, like any of us would like succumb to a lot of those things. Like, you know, who, who's to say like, you know, like you or I, you know, wouldn't do our own, you know, version of Luke throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder because like we were so desperate to like, you know, do something new and fresh. That's like, Oh, we'll try this. Not realizing that like, Oh, when you sit in the theater and watch that, it's going to seem like sacrilege. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I'd like to think in some way that those the filmmakers of the sequel trilogy and and everyone involved obviously they worked hard blah 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 but I, that they probably knew deep down that they would never meet the expectations um, of a fan base that that could not be happy with anything yeah I, I think too and I think you know probably they also know because I know you know they're very respectful of George Lucas I mean it's a it's a fool's errand if you're trying to be like as good as or, or better than the originals anyway because you know nothing is ever gonna replace you know you know seeing the death star trench run for the first time and hearing you know use the force luke you know like that you're just yeah. you're never gonna get like that same level of wonderment because it's been done I, I think like all star wars filmmakers are you know sort of doomed to to chase the ghost of moments like that and does that mean they shouldn't try that you know like filmmakers need to let star wars go like i, I I don't know, honestly. Of I think not, you know, no. the next generation is gonna have to like answer that question and see if there's, you know, there really is, you know, new territory to mine, or if the, you know, last cool Star Wars thing we're gonna get is, uh, you know, Luke carrying Baby Yoda off into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, 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 is Luke carrying off Baby Yoda into the sunset is is proof that there's more to Star Wars if you set off on your own path and you're not just trying to emulate what came before. And you can obviously see the downside of that in, you know, Attack of the Clones especially, but in the prequels and the sequels, uh, anything new doesn't necessarily always um, work. But, uh, you know, yeah, you got to keep trying. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, if, if The Mandalorian showed anything is that, you know, Luke's cameo aside, you can tell a good Star Wars story without, you know, Skywalkers that, you know, still feels, you know, true to the uh, kind of essential nature of Star Wars and yet takes it in a new direction. And, you know, we can, you know, root for an Ugnaught <laughs> for the first time or what have you. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, do you have a voice prepared? I do. And it's kind of, you know, cheating because, because I actually sort of did it in a, a previous episode but it's it's a real favorite moment of uh of mine so i just have to do it again all right i'm ready long have i waited for my grandchild to come home <laughs> that was good i have to say that you know i think maybe it was worth making ray a palpatine just so we could get Ian McDermott saying that line. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good line. I also have a Palpatine line. Uh, I thought would be a fitting close. Uh, that one I considered as well. So I'm glad I didn't go for it. Uh, I've never tried this out loud. So let's see what happens. This will be the final word in the story of Skywalker. <laughs> I love it. I love it. See, I mean, I, I like that he basically just says what everyone's thinking. I also really like the line. Let me find it. Um, As once I fell, so falls the last Skywalker. <laughs> oh, so good. I love it. I like any time they basically say the movie title. Yeah, I like it too. Well, and, and also, 
I like that moment because you you feel like oh my god the last Skywalker is dead and it's like you know who's which Skywalker is gonna rise there are no Skywalkers left to rise and then it kind of you know like sets up the whole Ray Skywalker thing nicely of like yeah. aha there is a Skywalker just not the Skywalker you thought <laughs> this is not the Skywalker you were looking for <laughs> still got it. <laughs> Well, that's it for us, I think. Do you have anything else you need to add? No, no. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'll have, uh, you know, things to say, you know, when we we do a future episode about uh, Rise of Skywalker. But I, I, I feel like I got a lot of off my chest. I got, you know, all my, you know, a lot of my, you know, Skywalker nostalgia out there and my, you know, my blubbering about Ray, you know, sliding down that like sandy slope. So I feel I feel very cleansed, you know, very whole right now. Me too. I, I'm excited uh, to open a new Word document for season two. Yes. And to be able to just close this huge thing of messy notes and not have to deal with it for a while. Um, next week, we're going to wrap up season one, give you a little preview of what we're going to do for season two. And uh, hopefully you keep listening. My name is Josh O'Rourke. You can find me at IamJoshO85. Bennett Campbell Ferguson can be found on Twitter at T-H-O Bennett. The Force will be with you. Always. <laughs>